Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Hey, I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious, and you are about to hear the very much extended conversation I had with the writer Athena Walker. She's got over 40,000 followers on the Q&A website Quora, where she talks about what it's like being a clinically diagnosed psychopath. Please do check out the original episode posted just before this one, which also includes my conversation with Dr. James H. Fallon. He's a neuroscientist studying psychopathic killers who found out via a brain scan that he is one. Well, not a killer, but a psychopath. And that's something that comes up a lot in these conversations. The idea that just because you're a psychopath, that you're violent. This is not necessarily true, and it is one of so many things we often get wrong about psychopaths. And Athena is here to lovingly, well, maybe not lovingly, but willingly correct us. I started off by asking her when she knew she was different. Oh, I figured out I was different pretty early on. You know, I had a sister, so I'd watch her and it was pretty evident that she and I had a very different way of seeing the world. I thought that she was kind of silly on some of her responses to things. I thought I didn't understand why I had to be the one to go down and turn off the lights in the basement because she was scared and I didn't know what that was. I was just like, all right, I guess that's my job. And I was a little sister, so you do what you're told. (laughs) My understanding is that you don't feel empathy or remorse. Is that about right? That's true. What do you feel? I can feel happiness, contentment. I can be irritated, annoyed. I can be, I don't know that I would say sulky. Pensive? Maybe. Yeah, I can see pensive. I mean, something doesn't quite go the way you wanted it to. It's like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. But it doesn't last. Nope. So you don't ruminate? No. No, there is no, like, fixation on things that happened in the past. There's no worry about what's going to happen in the future. It's just like, well, you know, it's going to turn out the way it's going to turn out. And all that stuff already happened, so whatever. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) That's the only thing I know, so I couldn't I couldn't tell you if it's wonderful or not compared to someone else's experience. Their experience is important to them, you know, for their reasons. And it's what they know, and this is what I know. 
as somebody who struggles at times with rumination, um, not so much anxiety on my part, but rumination on things that have happened, things I don't understand, things that hurt my feelings, things that tore my soul apart. <laughs> and I think, oh, if I if I could not ruminate, if I could just be like, well, it happened, it's done, can't anticipate anything coming. Like to me, that sounds kind of awesome. I can understand that. You had said that getting diagnosed was something you wouldn't recommend to anyone. Can you talk about that? Well, your medical records technically are private, but there are incidences where they are going to be able to be looked at. And let's say for whatever reason, one of those instances arrives, it will never go well for you. That will always have negative connotations. That will always bring difficulty. It will never bring, it's never going to be, oh, well, you know, this is fine. It will always bring a negative and very strongly negative response from people. So in that, I don't recommend it. It's very, very time consuming. It doesn't do anything other than give you a, oh, okay, well, that makes sense on why I function differently. And it's expensive. So, I mean, really, <laughs> what's the point? It doesn't change anything. It won't affect any part of your life in a way that is meaningful. And for a psychopath, there isn't going to be like, I now feel complete. That's That, that doesn't happen for us. So it's just like, oh, okay, well, good to know, I guess. Then it just cost me a bunch of money and time. And now I have something that could be a problem for me later. So no, I don't recommend it to anyone. You had talked about how people react to even just the word. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how psychopathy is received or seen, stereotyped around you, and, and that it, it it's never a compliment. No, no, it isn't. Uh, I think a large part of the problem arises from the fact they only study psychopathy in prisons. So there is no other situation in which that happens. You don't study anything else solely in a prison population and then apply to it the fact that the people you study are criminals. It's a conclusion without a start. You can't say, we only study it in this place and these people are criminals, therefore one equates the other. But that's exactly what they do with psychopathy. So yeah, it's, it's perceived highly negatively. It's used as a catch-all for every kind of villain you can imagine. Everybody who's a politician who does something wrong is a psychopath. Any ex who did you wrong is a psychopath. Anybody who did- A narcissistic psychopath. Oh, yes, of course. So a narcopath. That's the new one. Ooh. Yes, yes. Imaginary diagnoses abound. Anywhere you go, it's going to be negative. And everyone associates it with negativity. And the people who research it do not do anything to deter that. In fact, they lean into it. It sells books. They know that it does. So it, every place you're going to get information about psychopathy is going to have largely negative information associated with it. And then, of course, it's used as a slur by everyone. So I don't imagine when you meet new people, you say, hello, uh, I'm a psychopath. No, 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 no. There's absolutely no discussion of that. And in fact, if somebody says something about psychopathy that I know is completely wrong. I don't say a word. <laughs> not worth it. Yeah, not worth it. Not worth the conversation. Not worth going through that level of, okay, let me take you all the way back to the beginning and explain to you how you're incorrect. It's just not worth the time. 
If I picture meeting you for the first time at a party or something and you introduce yourself, I'm Athena, I'm a psychopath, I would think I would be so excited and I would probably ask you all the questions that I've already been asking you. But what would be cool is if somehow we became friends and if you said something that hurt my feelings, I would know you aren't wired in the same way that I am. I don't have to take it personally and I wouldn't be as hurt or maybe hurt at all. Don't you think that most people would respond that way if they knew you were a psychopath off the bat? I think that you are more inquisitive than most people. Most people will assume immediately upon hearing that word, oh, this person, nothing they say will be truthful. They are out to get something. They are evil, which is constantly associated with psychopathy. It's, it's, uh, it brings to mind things like Hannibal Lecter, who was not a psychopath. Ted Bundy, who also was not a psychopath. He had antisocial personality disorder, but he had clear indications of things like uh, narcissistic personality disorder as well, which can't coexist with psychopathy. It wouldn't make sense. You have to be able to be traumatized and have a very negative relationship emotionally with your parent as a child. And psychopaths can't do that. They're insulated from that. And people have a very strong response. So no, they don't want to talk about it. They, they, they want to, or, or they'll have, have you killed anyone? Like what? No. Why is that where you went? (laughs) Who's the up one here? (laughs) Right. You don't care enough to want to kill somebody. No, at all. (laughs) I understand that when you are out and about and for your your whole life, you have had to mask, you've had to study uh, so-called neurotypicals and and make sure that you're at least appearing in the ways that we expect you to be, right? Right. I'd love to hear more about that. Other people are the gatekeepers to the world. There's no way around that. If you want to exist in the world, you have to be able to function within it. And that means conversing with people and not placing yourself on the outside intentionally. The only thing that's ever going to do is close doors to you. So blending is very important. And especially when you're young, when you're young and you don't fit in, people get very, very concerned and they have talks about you and they make you talk to other people about why not. And it's a much easier life when you're not constantly having to explain yourself. Also, even if someone knows there are going to be instances where it's more important to them that they feel a certain way than them understanding that it's not real. Like if somebody has something terrible happen to them and they're in my life, it's better that they feel comforted than the comfort have the same meaning to me as it does to them. It's a, it's a performative measure, but it's a necessary measure. So if you want to maintain relationships with people, and I do like people, I like being around some people, not all people by any length of the imagination, but the people that I do like, I do want to keep around. If I just treated them like, oh, whatever, they would not want to be around me. It's got to be reciprocal. You know, they have, they're going to try to learn about what makes me different and how to interact with me. I owe them the same thing, even if it doesn't have a feeling for me, 
it has meaning to them. What has meaning for you? Because I think about the friends in your circle, do they know that you're a psychopath? The ones who are closest, yes, they do. Uh, my significant other knows, and the people who are closest to me know. And it's a continually evolving conversation because there's always going to be things that humans interact with one another through a series of assumptions. And that, and that really is what empathy is. People tend to think empathy is feeling the way someone else feels, but that's not true. If you felt the way that they felt, then it would it would be correct most of the time. But for instance, I've, I've spoken about this before, my sister committed suicide. That to, to other people immediately makes them want to feel badly for me. They comfort me. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. That is unnecessary to me, but they feel it. And they think that's an empathetic response. If it was, then they would understand none of that was necessary, but they're feeling how they assume I feel, which is fine. That works for 99% of human interaction. That is completely reasonable, but that's what empathy is. It's functioning on the assumption that the other person is feeling the way that you feel. And usually that's correct. And that's how humans get along. For me, I don't respond that way. So these assumptions are so built into interactions, you don't even realize that there are assumptions. You don't even realize that there is a world outside of it. And for me, I'm always in that world outside of it. So something happens or, or uh, something needs to be done that maybe other people consider particularly unpleasant and they assume I feel the same way. It's always going to be an evolving conversation of how we experience the world differently. When I think about what most human beings need in order to be happy and feel fulfilled, and there's a there's that word feel, um, I think they want a sense of connection and belonging. And when I hear you talking about masking and getting along with people, it sounds like you do want to belong. No, I wouldn't say I desire belonging. That's different. I understand the necessity of functioning within a society. I am fine on my own all the time. Like I never, if I never had any reason to interact with another person, I'm fine. It will never bother me. But I understand that humans are a part of the world. The things that I enjoy about the world only exist because of other people. People have the assumption that psychopaths see other people as less than or, or ants or whatever, some dehumanizing Thing. And the thing is, we don't, or at least I certainly don't. I think of humans as humans. They just don't have anything to do with me. And, that, and therein lies the difference. Psychopaths see humans as, yeah, that's, that's them. That's their problem. They're over there. They have no interaction with me until they need to have, until I need to have interaction with them. They have nothing to do with me. I understand that they are fully functional humans with lives, thoughts, dreams, opinions, all of that. And many of them can be very interesting to talk to and very interesting to interact with. And they are the gatekeepers to lots of cool stuff. And I understand all of that. However, until they are interesting to talk to or they have something that my interaction with them is necessary to get to, until then, they don't exist to me. That doesn't make them less than. They just don't matter. <laughs> and there, and I, think that that, I think that that lack of... Uh, Feeling a need to connect is one of the things that scares people about psychopathy. Because if you don't need other people, 
why wouldn't you do terrible things? Then? And that goes back to that emotional thing. May I ask about some scenarios, how you would react? Sure. Okay. If you saw a cute dog hit by a car and killed. Mm, that's unfortunate. If you saw an old lady fall down. Pick her back up. It's necessary action. If someone falls and they are in need of how you create the world in which you want to live. If you want to live in a life, in, in a world, in a life that's uh, conducive to your well-being, you must provide for others' well-being in turn. It's just a contract. You got born into the world. If you want to make a mess of it, you can, but you're probably going to have a very messy life. You realize you were lied to. Hmm. By who? Your significant other. Hmm. Well, I know him, and if he lied to me, there's got to be a good reason. So I'd want to know what the reason was. You were robbed of your most precious object. No such thing. Oh, of course. You're walking home, and someone's following you, and you don't know who they are, and they're getting closer and closer. Maybe you're sensing that you might be in trouble, what are you feeling? Alert. Okay, alert, not fear. No, not fear, but very alert, very aware, evaluating what I've got at my disposal, where would I be able to go if I need to. I'm not foolish enough to think that I'm going to be able to wrestle some full-grown man. I've met plenty of people who think that, that they're going to get in some one-on-one -on -one fight and think they're going to prevail because they watch action movies. I know better than that. I'm not, I'm not in any way lying to myself like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to beat him up. That's illogical. I know my physical limitations. So I need to look for ways around the situation. What do I have at my disposal? Do I need to pick up something as a weapon? How close am I to home? Do I have a phone with me? You know, just start laying out the uh, possible hypotheticals. What, what needs to happen in this situation? Now, granted, he might not be doing anything. You know, we have fight or flight for a reason, though. So you feel adrenaline, but you don't feel fear or nervousness. Right. You feel excitement, but not happiness. Oh, no, I can be happy. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely. I can be happy. I can't be sad, but I can definitely be happy. It's not long lasting like other people have. Like, okay, say my significant other gives me a video game that I really was looking forward to playing. It's like, oh, I want to play that. Now I have it. Once I have it and I get to play it, cool, but I'm not going to look at that video game and every single time get a wave of happiness that, oh, he bought this for me and it has this meaning to me. He bought it for me. I got to play it. Cool. It's very in the moment. The feelings don't last and the feelings, the uh, memories don't get tied to emotions. It's just an event that happened. So yes, I can feel happiness, but the memory, when I think of that, whatever event is, isn't going to be recalled with, and it was such a happy time. It's more like, oh, yeah, we went and we did this. Like a fact. Yeah, we went to a concert. It was a good concert. But you're not reliving any emotions. Nope, there's none of that. There's no reliving of the emotions of just enjoyment or anything like that. It's just, oh, it was cool. Yeah, it was fun. But it's just relaying that fact. If you don't feel fear, then do you not fear dying? I don't fear dying at all. And I've come very close to it. And everybody has said, oh, yeah, it'll change if you get close to it. I almost died from meningitis. 
didn't change it at all. The only thing it gave me was insight that, oh, yeah, maybe next time go to the hospital. Do you have any other psychopaths that you're that are in your life? I know one and he is exceptionally private, so I don't discuss him very often. Do you wish you had more people in your life who were psychopaths? No, there is no desire to join the psychopathy support group. <laughs> no, but I mean, in terms of like, you don't have to be anybody other than, other than your utterly genuine self. Well, I suppose that would be true. But then again, I don't really have a desire to have more people in my life than are already in my life. I never seek friends. The people who are in my life, I came across in various different respects. And I found them to be entertaining, interesting, fun to be around, intriguing, uh, challenging, all of the things that gives me an interest in another person. And that's why they're in my life. And we're compatible as people. We get along. We have we have enough in common that we can have conversations. We have enough that's completely contrary so we can disagree and learn from one another. That to me is what a relationship is about. Somebody being psychopathic doesn't make them inherently interesting. It just makes them have a different brain. It's the personality type. Cause I've, I've spoken to a ton of people who, who say they're psychopathic and I wouldn't try to interact with them on any kind of basis other than, a quick response to a question or something like that. Because there are aspects to psychopathy that I find alluring and exciting, like the idea of not ruminating over the pains that I've experienced. That sounds so freeing. <laughs> um, I think if I could take a pill and be a psychopath for a day, my God, I can't believe I'm saying these words, but I would totally try it. I would, I would be so excited to see what that felt like. Well, apparently you can do it with transmagnetic stimulation, but it only lasts about a half an hour. <laughs> what is this? Tell me more. Okay, so Kevin Dutton did this. He has a he had a friend in the research department at oh, I think it was at Cambridge, uh, who works with uh, transmagnetic uh, stimulation, which alters the frequencies of how the brain is functioning. They use it to treat depression, so it's called TMS therapy. And he tried this and the person matched the brain circuitry, the, the electric, whatever the TMS machine measures, it matched it down to what psychopathy is like. And it can alter your brain functioning for a set period of time. And I believe it is only about a half hour to an hour long. And he said he felt like he had had a half a bottle of wine or a whole bottle of wine without the drunkenness. He felt free. He felt very like forward and, and he could do anything. And he, he, he said it was very enjoyable. He, he enjoyed it quite a lot. He, he had, there's a whole write-up about this. I think it was in scientific America and it's a, it's a excerpt from his book, uh, the wisdom of psychopaths. He talks about that pretty extensively about his, his experience feeling psychopathy and his father was a psychopath so it gave him sort of insight to how his father functioned as well yeah very interesting but apparently yeah you can do it but you have to have a friend in a research department who is willing to dial your brain in that way because i don't think they offer the psychopath experience at the tms clinics sounds like an amusement park the psychopath experience <laughs> it would be funny it would be something so that being said would you take a pill to be so-called neurotypical for a day? If I was going to do that, 
I would want to try to do it as absolutely scientifically as possible and try to really map the differences between like, this is empathy, this is sadness, this is jealousy, this is, and be able to actually do it with, with people who are researching this sort of thing and really record it and get like good data out of it. I mean, sure, the emotional experience might be interesting and I would, I'm willing to try anything on a lark, but I think it would have more value as a research experiment. And so, yeah, I would definitely do it for that. When you watch movies or go to a museum, listen to music, how is that for you? Is that, is that anything for you? Well, I'd like pretty things. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of statues that are gorgeous and painters who are quite talented. Um, and I can look at them and be like, oh, that's quite nice. I like that. It's pretty. Movies, it depends on what the movie is about. I get very bored very quickly with something that's very predictable. Horror movies are probably the worst. For, psychopaths don't feel fear. So you're sitting there watching a movie that's supposed to be scary, which that, of course, doesn't fire. And you can pick out who did it or who, who's the bad guy or whatever within the first 20 minutes. And the rest of it's just like, oh, this is a slog. Romance movies, nope, have no effect for me whatsoever. I just find them torturous. Um, action movies can be interesting as long as they're truly interesting. But chase scenes bore me. They just take forever. It's especially running scenes. So I enjoy movies, but they have to have a good story. Can we talk about love? Sure. Do you experience it? Chemical love? No. Not at all. Uh, psychopaths don't uh, process oxytocin. We have a mutated oxytocin receptor, which means no chemical love, no bonding, which is why psychopaths don't bond. Uh, we don't experience the chemical component of trust, which I did not know for a very long time that that was emotional for people. I, to me, trust is investment. You, I trust you because you've demonstrated to me you are worthy of being trusted. There is no emotional experience there. So for me, watching other people trust someone that they shouldn't, and it, then they get betrayed and feel well, however you feel about it, very upset, obviously, that made no sense to me until I figured out, oh, this is actually an emotional experience for them. So the same thing with chemical love versus cognitive love. To me, love is action. It's what you do. It's how you, how you interact with that person and what value, if they're bringing value to you, how much value you are investing in them in, in return. And so to me, it's love is action. It's not, it's not a feeling. If your partner, I don't know, had an affair with the next door neighbor, just an, <laughs> just a thought, how would you feel? Bye. <laughs> Can I have some of that? <laughs> That's it. Bye. You're done. There's nothing to talk about. There's no conversation to have. Any anger? Revenge? No. Just get out. Don't want to see you again. And at, at that point, when somebody's an ex, I don't think about them again. When I hear that, I think, God, I wish I could do that. And I bet a lot of people hearing our conversation also think, God, I wish I could do that. 
And I know this is a wiring thing. You can't just give me some good advice and I'll be like, oh, just don't care about it. Oh, just move on. It's not how it works. Okay, but I can give you a different perspective. Please. I, st I have good memories of, you know, things that I do, but I don't code them emotionally. There is no like, okay, so if I go and I have a lovely dinner sitting across from my significant other and we have a, a great night laughing and talking about whatever, once that, a night, once that event is over, it gets filed as we went out to dinner, we had great conversation, we drank some wine, but there's no emotion that is going to ever be coded with that memory. So for me, it's just something that happened. That's it. You get to look back on that memory as much as you have to look back on some of your memories as painful, you are going to look back at these other memories as joyful. And you're still going to experience that joy, even if it's tinged with a bit of that hurt. So unless you want to sacrifice that experience, then you would not want to be wired like me. One goes with the other. No emotional coding of negative memories, no emotional coding of positive memories. And I'm guessing you value your positive memories quite a lot. I do. Because most people do. Do you think you can spot another person who is a psychopath? Nope. I don't, no one can. <laughs> They're just so good at it. Well, the problem with the notion that you can spot a psychopath is that means you basically are insisting you can read their thoughts. Just because someone acts in a certain way does not mean that you understand what they're thinking at the time. Motivation and how they're considering the situation has nothing to do with what you're observing. It has to do with what you are applying to them. So for me to sit there and watch somebody who seems to perhaps be similar to me, well, Maybe they do on the outside, but they're, maybe they're just very guarded emotionally. They don't like people knowing how they're thinking, things of that sort. I'm not a mind reader. No one is. So the notion that someone else can just spot a psychopath, its that's really ego talking. That's not reality. Yeah, I think some people feel compelled after they've had um, an experience with somebody where some boxes are checked that look like, oh, maybe that person was a psychopath. That would explain everything. It's <laughs> right. probably not true. It's so uncommon, right? It's uncommon. And also the people that you're going to assume are psychopathic are probably not blending in very well with uh, what is considered normal behavior. But psychopaths tend to excel at blending in. So the chances that you're picking up on their psychopathy, which I'm putting in air quotes because it's... Uh, usually some collection of ridiculous assumptions about that person or or applications of motives that they have no way of actually being able to say, oh yeah, that's why they did it. It really has to do much more with them than it has anything to do with the other person. That doesn't mean the other person's not toxic. I'm curious if you've ever tried psychedelics because psychedelics are famous for what they do to emotions and of course the feeling of love. Would you ever try something like mushrooms? Sure. Why not? What do you think would happen? Well, the only time I've ever had any kind of hallucinations is when I was uh, sick with meningitis. And uh, they were just entertaining to watch. That was all. So you don't expect feelings of love and awe to suddenly appear. Just you're not wired that way. Right. You can't force something to show up when you're not able to feel it in the first place. It's sort of like being able to imagine 
would you be able to fly if you've never been able to? Probably not. Probably not going to have a good day when you step off the ledge. Did I just hear a dog in the background? <laughs> yes. Okay, so you have a pet. I have a few. Okay, what's the lineup? Uh, one dog, two cats. And uh, she's a northern breed, so she's very, very noisy, noisy, and she's very opinionated about all things. So talk about, it's funny because I want to say talk about your feelings for your <laughs> pets. And I hear myself and I catch myself, but like talk about your feelings for your pets. I, how do I, how, how, what is your relationship like with your pets? It's good. I mean, I, I relate to them in the sense that I see what they need. I provide what they need. They're good companions. They're good. I don't consider pets particularly less intelligent than humans. I think that we just don't comprehend the way they think. So you, know, you have to try to figure out what they think or see the world through their eyes and figure out what it is that they want, need. My significant other is very useful with that because he's really good at seeing things through other people's eyes, including animals. So he's able to say, well, you know, this behavior is because of this thing. It's like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. So gives me the ability to develop cognitive empathy. They're good companions. They're fun to be around. All of our animals are amazing in terms of they're incredibly well-behaved. They, they're just cool to be around. Have you had a pet die before? Sure, many times. What was that like for you? I prefer them be around, but I've watched how other people respond to the same losses. It's definitely different. I prefer them be here, but when they're gone, there isn't an absence. It's not a, there's no gnawing pit of sadness or loneliness. It's not like that. And also, I tend to be far more ready to get another animal than anyone else is, because to me, I like the companionship. Therefore, I should go get another one. But to other people, they're mourning a loss. And to them, that's disrespectful. So there's a definite like, have to figure out that middle ground and not trespass on other people's losses. But at the same time, not completely lie to them about how I feel about it. I mean, I still want a cat. <laughs> I like cats. I like dogs. So I want a dog. So it's, it's, it's about the present for me. It's not about the past. I don't have the ability to hold on to that. I mean, I, I have pictures of our former animals, the ones who've passed away. Other people see them, they cry. I see them and I go, oh yeah, that was a cool, I like, that cat was awesome. That cat was cool. Remember when the cat used to do this? That was really funny. So it's very, very different for me. As I think about the ways that you have to manage other people and manage yourself and mask and keep track of, oh, that's right. When this happens, most other people react this way. First of all, it sounds exhausting. Is it? It is. Yes. Second of all, I keep getting the sense that we who feel kind of slow our own lives down with these feelings, right? Does that, is that how it feels like to you when you, from the outside? That's sort of interesting. So that's, the world is built for neurotypicals, though. So granted, there are lots of things that I think that they get caught up on that are unnecessary. But at the same time, that's how the world is structured. 
And I'm aware of that just because I can, I have shortcuts that I get to take because I don't deal with those things doesn't make those things insignificant to the people who do have them and therefore necessary for their overall well-being. That would be like me saying, hey, my way is better. You should do it my way. I don't think, I don't think that my way is better. It's good for me, but I also understand that humans evolved the way they did for a reason. You know, they have their interactions, their interlaced feelings and lives for a reason. So for me to be like, wow, I don't need all that. So clearly you all are just wasting your time would be extraordinarily judgy. What do you think about the idea of God? I know enough to know that I don't know. And I'm good with that. I don't need to know. I can I could ruminate about it and sit there and think about, well, you know, I mean, is it logical to think that there is a God, there's not a God? What is that going to do? Is that going to answer anything for me? I could probably, I can look around and see things I can't explain. I don't need to explain them. Stuff I don't understand. I'm good with that. What do you hope happens after we die? I don't really have a hope for it. It's not really how my mind works. I don't even have a hope for tomorrow. I just live now. And what happens, happens. I'll see it when I get there. An image just flashed in my head of a needle in the groove of a record. That now, that perfect now moment. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you are more than uh, neurotypicals, so-called neurotypicals, uh, in the moment? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. People get very caught up on things that have already happened. They get very worried about things that have not happened. They get very concerned about where they're at versus where they would like to be instead of appreciating where they're at. There is such a mess of emotions that I watch people get caught up in and they completely miss what's going on around them. And so much so that what goes on around them almost seems like it overwhelms their senses. So they just check out. It's like you're you're letting your life just go right by you because you're too busy worrying about what you might do tomorrow. How about you do what you're going to do tomorrow, tomorrow, and then deal with right now, now. So say it's the mentality of people who go to concerts that are holding up their phone and recording it. What is wrong with you? It's right there. <laughs> I guarantee you, you can find a video that someone else recorded. You see 50,000 other phones. Watch the concert. I was just at a Tori Amos concert last night in New York City, and I thought the same thing. Just phones. It was like a sea of phones and a tiny Tori Amos on stage. Yep. And it's just, why am I even here? I could, watch, I could be watching this on my TV. It would be the same experience. That makes no sense <laughs> to me at all. Yeah, I watch people do that. They, they just watch their entire lives go by and are so concerned with prior things, future things, that the now things just become inconveniences. And then they get upset because now things that they didn't attend to in the now become problems later on. Speaking of music, uh, what kind of music do you like? There isn't a type I like. I like all sorts of music. What concert would you go to if you got a free pair of tickets for you and your significant other? Best concert ever. What would it be? Well, I like baby metal. That's pretty good. I'm sorry, what? Baby metal. Baby metal? Mm-hmm. What's baby, what's baby metal? 
So it's heavy metal with a Japanese uh, kawaii Lolita cute culture singers. You must look it up. If you've never seen them, they are amazing. They are so adorable. <laughs> What is it about this music that you like so much? Well, it's it's kind of deeper, melodic, fast-paced. It's uh, the singers are adorable and fun to watch. It's their concerts are engaging. Yeah, I just they're just fun. I like the Who band as well, but they're completely different. They're Mongolian. I want to ask, like, well, how does it feel when you listen to them? And that's again not the right question right nope i just enjoy it it you know i usually if i'm playing music it's usually while i'm doing other things so it's just good background music when it comes to comedy and humor and what people find funny a lot of people a lot of comedy is built around the idea of tension and release like a lot of physical comedy bits like when somebody gets hurt but not severely hurt there's a concern for the character, you care about them. And so when they get hurt, there's this dynamic behind it, but you don't feel affinity for characters. So if they get hurt, and it's a butt of a joke, it doesn't really do it for you. No, not really. And by the same vein, I don't like pranks either. I've always found pranks to be quite irritating. I'm with you. Pranks where people feel scared, or people are embarrassed, I think are cruel. I can't, I, I have such a hard time it's sadistic. It's it, it is a form of sadism. I, I truly think that I've watched people they do it because when that when they're putting somebody in that position, they are causing them suffering for amusement. That's sadism. I, I fail to find the humor in it. It's never appealed to me. I've never wanted to play pranks on other people. And I just like them when they played on me. And I also recognize the mentality behind it. And yeah, people say, Oh, it's just a prank, bro. Well, yeah, a lot of people who say that tend to be the ones who take it as far as they possibly can and then try to negate their their responsibility in the situation by going, it's just a prank. It's just a prank. Ugh. And then people may throw around the phrase, well, that was a psychopathic thing to do. Do you hear people throwing around that word all the time? Yes, all the time, constantly. Actually, I was watching an anime recently, and for the first time, time i actually heard somebody call another person a psychopath and in context it was probably reasonable and i was like that's the first reasonable time i have ever heard it used every other time though it's some ridiculous you're such a psychopath like that's not at all psychopathic that person is clearly emotionally upset and that's why they're acting that makes it specifically not psychopathic what i find really interesting in me as you and i talk is first of all, I really like you because you're so straightforward and honest. That is one of my most treasured traits in human beings. And I also just feel like I understand you to the degree to which a total stranger can understand you. And so I I really, I really like you. (laughs) And I wonder how much of what, I wonder how much of the you that I've been talking to this whole time has been Athena Walker masking And how much of the you that I've been talking to this whole time has been the real Athena Walker? 
Okay, so that's an interesting question. If you're just talking to me and I have no mask at all, I'm very self-focused. I don't consider other people anytime that I do, that is me intentionally considering them and putting myself like, oh yes, this person has other things going on in their life. What are those things? Because I'm sure they're important to them. So that's masking. The bluntness is much more me. People have asked me before, aren't you worried someone's going to recognize you? No, I'm not. Because the people who know me outside of the house in which I live and the people who are closest to me, they do not hear that part of me because I have a very different voice and a very different way of interacting with them than I do when I'm being more myself. Like this is the level of masking, maybe slightly more, but I give the people who are closest to me because I do need to consider them. They do need to be considered. There's no reason to stay in someone's life if they're constantly self-focused and don't give a crap about you in any way, or at least act like they do. I can't emotionally do that, but I can certainly physically and cognitively make those efforts. So that's the level of masking, um, maybe to a slight more degree that I'm doing with you to give you a more clear idea of what it is. You have a significant other. How long have you been together? I don't know, over a couple decades. Are you utterly yourself around him? I still need to mask to make sure his needs are met. If I didn't do that, I would not be holding up my end of the bargain. So I'll give an example, actually, that James Fallon has used. He talked about when he started making an effort for his wife, like if he got up to get something out of the kitchen, he started to think about, oh, maybe she would like something as well. And so he would ask. This is very much a how the mind works. Like I wouldn't even consider, it's not like I am denying somebody something from the kitchen or that I'm just intentionally being mean to them. I just don't consider it. It does not cross my mind. So I'll sit there and I'll walk in the kitchen like, oh, say I'm going to get a glass of wine. Would you like a glass of wine? Yes or no? If I'm not masking a little bit, I won't even, I won't even think about asking. (laughs) Like, I will figure if you want one, you'll just say something and then I'll get it for you. And then that's it. And I always have this rule with people. If you want something from me, ask me because the chances are I am not going to figure it out without you saying at least something. I wonder to what degree we all mask. Oh, I'm sure. Absolutely. The difference is masking for neurotypicals tends to be being on their best behavior, but it's still the core of their personality is still on display with the psychopath. It's different in the sense that when I'm masking, especially with people that don't know me well, they need to see all of the things they expect to see from a neurotypical interaction. So all the emotional feedback loops have to be there for them to feel comfortable. And when they're not, they feel very uncomfortable. And that is when people will pick up something's wrong. And that's actually, I think, what people pick up when they interview psychopaths, actual psychopaths in prison, because there's no reason to put on any airs. They're just sitting there and they know they're caught, doesn't matter to them, and they'll just have a conversation. And that sense of we're not on the same playing field, we're not playing by the same rules becomes very, very evident. And it's very disconcerting. I think that's what makes people the most uncomfortable. And if I don't want people to be uncomfortable around me. I have to emulate that. What makes them feel normal? And you want to do that with them because they are the gatekeepers to living on planet Earth and having a good time. 
Absolutely. Yeah, you live in a planet that is primarily made up of people who are used to interacting a certain way and you don't interact that way. People are not conforming to you. That's not the way it works. So that would be just silly. And I know some people think that, well, everybody should just conform to how I see the world. No, they shouldn't. You're the odd man out. You conform. You have to figure out how to make your life the best you can in the world in which they have constructed. If reincarnation was a real thing? Mm -hmm. Oh, would I come back as a psychopath? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> hell yes. Why? Because I like me. <laughs> I like you too. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You're pretty cool yourself. Thanks. That was good masking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I would. I would absolutely come back as, as a psychopath. I don't want to come back as a low-functioning psychopath. Don't get me wrong. They seem like they have all kinds of problems. By low-functioning, you mean people who are incapable of masking so well and or are violent? Oh, I think low-functioning means lower intelligence, uh, inability to predict the consequences of their behavior, have no impulse control. Basically, criminals who keep repeating the same things over and over again because they only see what they want right here. They can't sit there and play it out to the end be like, well, I want this, but if I do it in the way that's most convenient then I'll probably end up getting in trouble for it. So maybe I should find a different way. But they don't. They just act. And then they get surprised that they're going off to prison. It's like, really? I don't want to be that person. I mean, I don't think that they have the inability to tell themselves no. I think they have the unwillingness to. But again, I'm not one of them. So I can't be judgy about that. I can sit there and assume, but I can't know for certain. But I'm still pretty sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've given this some thought. I have. Uh, I can't wait for people to hear this because since our last conversation, it's come up in, in my conversations just out and about people asking like, oh, what's, what's the next episode? What are you working on? And I'm really excited about how very wrong people will realize they are. I, that thrills me to no end. Oh, read the comment sections on some of the articles I've done. There will be a number of people who will tell you how wrong you are and that I have lied to you about everything. And she's just a psychopath and she's playing you. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're super fun because people are completely just sold on this notion that psychopaths are a certain way. And if they're any other way, it's obviously a lie. Yeah, every time. Every freaking time, man. Even on the Jeremy Vine show, somebody called it. My ex was a psychopath and she did all these terrible things. It's like, your ex wasn't a psychopath. Your ex was mad at you. <laughs> it, just, it happens, dude. Relationships break up. There are toxic people in the world. That doesn't make them a psychopath. It just makes them a bad person. Uh, one thing that I keep thinking about when it comes to masking is the idea of overcompensating and masking. So you try to do nice things. Like if you're going to go to the kitchen and get, and get a glass of wine, you think, okay, I need to ask, uh, do you want a glass of wine? And that's nice of you because you know that's what people do. And But if, if you didn't have to do it, you wouldn't do it. You just get your glass of wine. And if I wanted to get a glass of wine, I'd get a glass of wine. But what if psychopaths overcompensate with their masking and they get super nice? Like they get super accommodating and really, really, oh my gosh, this person is such a giver and so thoughtful. And then I thought, oh my God, is that 
what happens sometimes, and so when people who are psychopaths are overcompensating with their masking and it gets discovered that they were faking the whole time, it's mind-blowing to those of us who thought, oh my God, I thought they were so sweet. Hmm. I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. I don't think that a psychopath would be able to continually keep that up without it just being an absolute abject drain. The amount of effort that would take would be so, like, why would I put that much effort into it? <laughs> okay, so there's a there's a variation. You're only going to go so far as a psychopath. Yeah, there, there, I mean, because you got to get something out of being that way. And the only thing you get out of being hyper, super nice to people is, I mean, of course, if you're an emotional person, you're going to get emotional feedback. That's why people do it. But... For a psychopath, you're just going to get people who really want to be around you all the time and they're kind of clingy and they expect you to invest in their their lives. And, and that's that's a lot. That's as much as I can be nice and, and people think I'm wonderful and they want to be around me, there are limits. <laughs> so I would think that I think I mean, what you're thinking of is it is still, I think, quite true in the sense that. Yeah, when someone, if someone finds out that the mask is not real, it's completely reasonable to feel a sense of betrayal because that person doesn't know how to place themselves in our interactions anymore. Okay, well, how much of that was real? And, and, and because the investment is not the same, the person is going to ask themselves, well, what was their investment? What did they want from me? And then it becomes this whole... They feel out of balance. A lot of times people feel like they have been fooled. They might feel like, oh, I, I, I thought that we were on this even ground and we weren't. I think that's true of all relationships, though, because everyone's got different things that they are getting met in relationships. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I certainly can understand that, that somebody would feel bothered and, and disoriented, discombobulated by finding that out. I know that you can't diagnose anybody from afar, but considering all you know about psychopathy, I think, well, if there's any popular figure who I think may be a psychopath, I think Putin. What do you think? And who else do you suspect is likely a psychopath? I would say with Putin, you can't make any judgment calls. And here's why. He headed up the KGB. The type of mentality that you have to place yourself in to be in that role. It, it, this, living in a Soviet state or a communist state like that is um, quite different. Uh, if you've ever talked with somebody from uh, in governmental levels in communist states, they're, they're very reserved. They don't, you don't see emotions because weakness is preyed upon and will be used against you. So you would never show it. What we see of Putin, we only see the man who is a governmental figure. We don't see him in his family life. I have no idea what he's like with his wife, his children, which I know he has. What you're seeing is a result of the environment in which he exists. And I think that that's important to remember. Like a great example also would be, um, there's something in Japan called Hone and Tatame, which is like uh, the, the face you show at home and the face you show in public. And they're very, very divorced from one another. They're very different. It's a cultural thing that maybe if someone has never seen it before, 
would say the same thing. Oh, I, I think that maybe that person is psychopathic. It's like, no, that's just the face they put on when they come out and they interact with, because that is the cultural expectation or the cultural protection. And I would say in a Soviet state, you definitely do not want to give anyone an in to your life, to your vulnerabilities, to what makes you tick, to how they might be able to take you down, because it is a very hyper-competitive pitting one person against another kind of environment. So I don't think with Putin you can make any judgment calls. He's a he's a public figure who's who exists in the in the situation in which he has lived in his entire life. Um, as for celebrities, I don't know because celebrities do the same thing. You know, they're they're one person in front of a camera. They're very different when they get home. And trying to judge somebody based on the uh, persona that they're putting on to achieve whatever goals they're trying to achieve, like you know, money or fame or whatever. It's, it's exceptionally difficult. I did think it was super interesting that there was a study done that they uh, evaluated different CEOs. And I, I don't remember where, if I would even be able to find this. I don't know if I would be able to find it now, but there were pictures of different CEOs that uh, they had evaluated or had uh, ranked for high psychopath psychopathic traits. And uh, this person wanted to see if I could figure out which one's were which based on looking at them. And I had, I think, I think I did about 95%. I think I missed one and she wanted to know how I knew. And I said, it's the lack of wrinkles. Why, 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 why lack of wrinkles? Wrinkles are caused by emotions and high emotions on a regular basis. Jesus, of course, of course, of course. So you look at them and they're all around the same age. I can go that one, that one, that one, that one, because they aren't, they aren't making lines on their faces from being angry or exceptionally happy or frowning all the time or smiling all the time. They'd be much more on a regular basis, quite neutral. So their faces age slower. And also, uh, interestingly, um, lack of gray hair. And this was something I didn't really know for certain, but uh, my uh, significant other, he found a, an article that talks about that stress definitely affects yeah, I mean, look at pictures of presidents on their inauguration day and then when they get out. Yep. Uh, so fear and stress and all of that can make your hair change color. And everyone I've ever known, I've known people who went gray when they were 19. I mean, sure, that's probably genetic. I mean, the people who are going gray that early, it's probably genetic, but... The outliers, yeah. So this, so you're implying that you will look fresh and young. For a long time. What other figures in entertainment do you think accurately portrayed a psychopath? Oh, in entertainment? Well, there are very few that are that are accurate. There are a couple actually in, in animes that I thought were uh, sort of well done, uh, but not they're not intended to be psychopathic. In fact, a couple of them are, are very well-liked characters on the shows, and most people probably would never suspect them of being psychopath, but watching them, I'm like, that's a straight psychopath. <laughs> so one of them would be Julius from uh, Black Clover, the uh, Wizard King. He's very personable. Everybody likes him. Everybody respects him. Everybody wants to be like him. But the moment, first moment he gets into battle and he's dealing with too many enemies, he just straight kills two of them. And it's not a show that shows murder very often. Like, it's very rare. So for the fact that he was just like, no, these two have got to go. I was like, and also he... Uh, 
he does what he wants to do. He's very impulsive. He, in terms of what entertains him, he wants to go do the things that make him happy. He kind of shirks his duties to, in, in order to be able to go do the things that makes him happy. He's phenomenally powerful, but he does, but that doesn't go to his head in any way. He just is powerful. He's worked at it and he just wants to do what makes him happy. So have you seen Killing Eve? No, I haven't. I've been asked about it a lot. Yeah, the the main character played by Jodie Comer. Um, but it sucks because she's an assassin. So it's like, oh, great. Another freaking killer psych- psychopath. Yeah. Adding to the stereotype. There is a show that is, um, it's called Mr. Between. It's an Australian show. I will say that uh, one of the things that's done right about it is they never tried to make the character anything. I've just noticed that in his behavior, I would say he's the closest to a moderately functioning psychopath that I've seen, but he definitely has flaws. But what makes him so interesting is that the guy who plays Ray, so Ray, the character comes from a movie called The Magician. And later on, they made a a, a television show out of it. And in the show, in the movie, he wrote both of them. He directs them. The character is his. Where he got inspired from it, I don't know, but his way he interacts with people is extremely accurate. Now, they, there are some emotional issues that I, like, uh, there, there have been a couple times, like his brother died, I think that's what it was, and he cried. Okay, so that would be a flaw. Fair enough, because no one else was there. Like, it wasn't like he was crying for To perform. Effect. Right, it was, he. his brother died and he was by himself and he had an emotional moment. So there are places where it's like, oh, that's a flaw. Okay, so not perfect, but closest one I've seen. And considering that the guy wasn't going for anything really well done. Do you experience awe? Hmm. I don't know what neurotypicals consider awe in the sense like, I think I can be odd for me, if that makes sense. Like, I get the impression it's quite different for neurotypicals. I can look at something and go, wow, that's really cool. That's amazing. But I get the impression it's more than that for most neurotypicals. So yeah, it's sort of like a feeling of smallness that feels good. Oh, mm, I don't. I suppose so. I mean, like I can look up, like go out, look at the sky at night. And you see that there's a blanket of stars up there. And you realize you're standing on the surface of a planet that is whirling through the universe at like, what's 365,000 miles an hour or something like that. I don't remember what the actual velocity of Earth is. But but uh, yeah, I mean, like super fast. And the only thing protecting you from that vast, empty space with the stars is just this cloud of gas that we can't even see. That's pretty cool. I mean, like, if you think about it, a lot of people that terrifies them to me, I'm just like, that's cool. And you get to look out into that vast expanse of space and be like, wow, that's a lot of space. That's cool. But I don't know if I experienced the ah oh, from it. I just like, hmm. Right on. What gives you goosebumps? Do you get goosebumps? Well, being cold. <laughs> for sure. I mean, <laughs> I would think that's true of everyone. <laughs> um, actually, singing can do it. And it's because it's, uh, it activates something at the base of the brainstem which I thought was super interesting. Uh, I had asked, so I got asked this question, can um, music give a psychopath goosebumps? And I was like, I don't know. 
And so I asked my significant other, and he's like, yeah, I think so. I think I've seen that happen for you. And I saw, I decided to dive into it. I was like, well, what is that? And somebody actually responded in the comment section, oh, that's, I'm pretty sure it's called frisian. And it, it originates at the base of the brainstem. I said, well, that makes sense then. Because there's nothing different about our brainstems, as far as we know. There's a sense that you don't settle for anything. Is that true? Mm, well, I mean, if I get a meal I don't particularly like at a restaurant, I still settle for it. Because what am I going to do? Complain and not liking something's kind of my own problem, isn't it? But I mean, like if they send you, if you eat meat and you order the steak medium rare and you deliver it well done, will you send it back? Sure. But you're nice about it. Of course. Yeah, there's never, you're never going to get anywhere being difficult in a, in a restaurant situation. That's uh, that's going to blow up in your face quickly. <laughs> yeah, you never want to insult the people who are responsible for making your food. It's quite true. That's just common sense, regardless of what your brain is like. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to me that people think that's a, a winning strategy. <laughs> Something psychopaths are accused of are using deception to get what they want. And we've talked about how you mask in order to get by because we are, we neurotypicals are the gatekeepers for like a, a cool, good, normal, free flowing life. But I've been thinking since we talked about how we all are deceptive. We all are deceptive in so many ways. It's just that you know that you're doing it. You know why you're doing it. Whereas with people like me and me myself, sometimes I know I'm manipulating in order to get the guest to say yes. I know I'm being a little bit nicer or maybe a little bit more formal or whatever. I worked in cell phone sales for like 10 years in a mall. And you bet I talked to the old lady way differently than I talked to the 17 year old. You know? Yeah, of course. You gotta tool your responses to make sure that you make it you have to make some kind of connection. Yeah. So in in ways do you feel like, you know, when people are like, ah, oh, psychopaths, they're just they're manipulating everybody around them just to get what they want. Do you ever are you ever like, come on, man, we all do that. That does not necessarily have anything to do with being a psychopath. Yes, all the time. I mean, let's be honest, all of human interaction is based on getting our wants and needs met. That's manipulation. That's what it is. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It just is what it is. People tend to think of manipulation as some sort of highly negative thing, and it isn't. Uh, manipulation, it's the intent behind it. Like, okay, so if you find somebody very attractive, flirting with them is manipulation. You're making them know that you're available and that you are interested and you would like their interest in return. It's manipulation. It's not a bad thing. You're wired to want a mate. You are wired to want to engage with that person in that way. But people think of it as, oh, if you manipulate somebody, it's because you're intentionally trying to take from them. It's like, no, you're just, you're trying to get from them your wants, your needs met, and therefore you manipulate and they manipulate you. It's just normal. That's just human life. If you're manipulating somebody specifically to underhandedly take from them what they do not suspect that they are giving away and they can't possibly protect themselves from, that's intent. That's negative and toxic. So, yeah, I, I, find, the, I find the whole notion of, oh, psychopaths are so dishonest when I watch dishonesty all the time. Also, 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 where do you think psychopaths learned how to manipulate from? 
It certainly wasn't from psychopath university. It's not like we're raised by other psychopaths. We live with neurotypicals. We learn how to manipulate from them, from our families, from our friends, from everyone around us. We watch everybody and how they manipulate. And that's where we get it from. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Otherwise, how would we know? We'd be completely clueless. Do you ever get embarrassed? Nope. I find the idea of embarrassment very weird. Why feel like, I, I guess embarrassment is like you feel put on the spot or you feel like there's a bright light shining on you and, and you feel that other people are judging you. Why do you care what they think? Yeah, I would say that it's more like you feel that your weaknesses have been exposed for all to see. That's what I would say embarrassment feels like. All right. Well, everybody's got weaknesses, so who cares? Congratulations, you're human. And now everybody knows. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, what is the need to look perfect in front of everybody? Like, what's the point of that? If you look perfect in front of everyone, who is that for? Like, is that for them? Because as far as I can tell, watching other people, they don't like perfect people because, or people who appear perfect. They, they tend to get judged pretty heavily. Like, oh, she thinks she's so perfect. She thinks she knows how to do this. He thinks he's so awesome. People get very, very judgy about quote unquote perfect people. So that doesn't seem to be beneficial in any way. That seems like a poor strategy. And then if you present yourself as perfect and then all of a sudden people realize you're not perfect and this is somehow your ego is built on this notion that you are it seems like all that's going to happen is you're going to crumble so that seems like a not winning strategy overall it seems like a bad idea like who cares if anybody thinks of you as something other than perfect good you remind me of uh there was a beatles concert where john forgot the lyrics to one of his songs and and he started making up like gibberish it was hilarious and somebody said that being in the audience for that concert was so thrilling they got to be there for when john forgot the lyrics and just said whatever you want in this concert. And so it wasn't a cause for him. It was an exciting thing to be there when he messed up, which is a nice twist on not being perfect. Yeah, that's actually quite, I, I like that. Besides, perfection is the enemy of progress, isn't it? So what's the point of that? We talked about your sister, but we didn't talk about anyone else in your family. What do you know about what your parents noticed about you when you were young? Oh, well, they certainly noticed that I had absolutely no fear. And because of that, I, I would get myself into very uh, challenging situations. I was always busy. I always was into something. My mother used to take photographs of me sleeping to prove that there was a point in time during the day I was still. There was nothing they could keep away from me. There was nothing they could hide from me. I didn't understand a lot of the things that my sister certainly did. Like my sister, if I said something that hurt her feelings, they would be like, you need to apologize. Her feelings are hurt. And I just look at them like, sounds like a, her problem. I don't know what you want me to say to that. Like, cause I can't understand what that means. Like she could say all the mean things in the world to me and it wouldn't affect me. So I'd be like, all right, 
Like, mm, I don't know why you're crying. What's your problem? Or taking things. I want it, so I'm going to take it. Well, you can't have that. It belongs to someone else. They can get another one. This one's mine now. Like, well, you, you hurt their feelings. You made them feel bad. Yeah, and? You can't do that. You can't negotiate with a psychopath with the ideas that you do with other children. You can't make them feel bad about something. And you have to argue with them in a logical basis. You have to explain to them in a way that makes sense. And with, with a psychopath, it's always going to be about rewards. Well, if you do this, then I will give you this. Hmm, okay. Let me figure out if I can get that another way that's easier. And if I can't, I guess we'll have a deal. Were you ever punished? Oh, of course. Yeah. And it did nothing. <laughs> it was just like... What kind of punishments? Oh, you know, I was uh, you know, yelled at, sent to my room, take away stuff. Doesn't matter. I just find something else to do. And the lack of impact of punishments is... I watched that make my parents crazy. Like it worked with my sister. They, you know, they punish her, send her to a room. She'd go in there and cry. I'd go into my room and I just find something else to do. And they're like, all right, we'll send her to our room. I find something to do in there. Send her to the garage. I don't know. <laughs> Strip a room of everything. Then I just sit there and I'd, I'd entertain myself. And they just, they, there was nothing they could do that had an impact that, and also, just because you made me lose an hour of my afternoon doesn't mean I'm not going to go right back and do exactly what that thing was that I was doing that got me in trouble in the first place. They would have to find a way to make it so I wanted to do something more than what it was that I was doing. Like, this is more entertaining. You should do this. Oh. Incentives. Mm-hmm. You got to find the shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now you've got me thinking about people who are psychopaths who are also parents. Um, oh my God, that, that strikes fear in me. Psychopathic parents, go, Athena. I think it depends on their goal. So a psychopathic parent could be an excellent parent to a psychopathic child because you could, you could understand how to negotiate with them. With a neurotypical child, uh, as long as they have high cognitive empathy, I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to succeed. I, I don't know why that would be an issue. As long as you, because I can meet my animals, my like my my dogs and my cats, I can meet their needs. Um, I can make them feel loved and protected and wanted and you know safe, regardless of how I feel about you know wanting to do that. I understand that attention and um, care is a required part of the contract. So if you have a kid, same thing. But if they have low cognitive empathy or they're highly self-centered or self-focused, yeah, that kid's not going to have a good life. And that's probably not great for them. When you started going through puberty, did anything at all change in terms of the way that your brain operated and that you operated socially? No, it really didn't. You know, I, I always hear about how people had such a hard time with puberty and it, it didn't, I didn't even notice it. I was just like, okay. Like I watched my sister go through puberty, certainly, and, you know, boyfriends and crying and emotional ups and downs. And I was like, well, that's weird. And then when I was supposed to go through it, I was just, it didn't, yeah, I was just very independent. And I think that that was, that was extremely difficult for my parents, as it turns out. I didn't know that when I was younger, like I just didn't need them. And I, I didn't 
have a comprehension that that would matter to anyone. It was just how I was. So, and since they left me to, they didn't try to change that about me. They allowed me to be independent. They allowed me to be by myself when I wanted to be. So I just assumed because I liked it that they were fine with it. And then later when I got older, they were like, oh, that was very difficult. You would just go off by yourself and we never have interactions with you. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, good to know. Sorry, I guess. Do you know if there are any other psychopaths in your family? I'm adopted, so I have no idea. No clue. Have you ever done the DNA thing? Nah. No interest. No interest? Yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's, I've never understood the desire to know where you come from and all that. I need to know. My sister was also adopted. She always wanted to know. She was very, um, that emotionally bothered her. And I could not comprehend why. I was like, you have parents. They're great. What are you upset about? Like, but I want to know where I came from. Why? What, what would that give you? And she couldn't, she couldn't articulate it to me. So I never had the cognitive empathy to understand it. I just, I just thought it was silly. I wonder if your parents associated you being adopted with you being so very different. Possibly. I never asked them. Yeah, I never, I never, I never bothered asking. I just, uh, I just know I was difficult because I, I hear about I was difficult. And I hear, I, you know, my mother, of course, relays the stories about me being difficult when, when she's asked about them. But uh, I never... I never really thought about it from their perspective on um, how different and how that, I mean, I suppose that they, I did hear from my mom. She, she did say, you know, all children are different. And so she was, and since my sister and I were both adopted, we're not adopted from the same family at all. We're not related. We were never blood related. Um, I guess she, that probably played into it as well. You know, they're, they're obviously different. They have different backgrounds. So yeah, it never occurred to me to even, wonder about that. I think about your significant other. You said you'd been together for a couple decades. And I imagine, I imagine what if you died and you know, he'd be sad, Sure, but he would know that you wouldn't be sad if he died. Right. So he knows I prefer him here, but okay. So we can, we can actually do this on a little bit more of a, you know, relative scale. Like uh, if he goes on a trip and he's gone for a week, he knows I would prefer him be here. He also knows that unless he calls me, he is not going to hear from me at all because I just don't, there is nothing in me that drives me to contact another person. It's always been this way. I have always said I'm going to change it, try to change it, does not happen. So he understands that it would basically be the same thing. Like, I would prefer him be here, but there isn't like a, I guess, a longing or whatever. That's just that it doesn't work that way for me. Like, I prefer your presence. I like you around. You are fun to be around. I enjoy everything about you. When he's gone, I'm perfectly fine on my own. So I, I, I think he'll know, hey, at least he'll know I'll be fine. <laughs> what 
does he say that he gets out of being with you? He thinks I'm awesome. Well, I mean, you are awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, he thinks I'm, I'm awesome. I meet his needs. I'm, I'm a logical mate. He doesn't have to babysit me or worry about my emotions. If, if he crosses something that irritates me, I'll just tell him, be like, I don't know, like me. He'll be like, oh, okay. That's so nice. And so, yeah, he, I'm very straightforward. He doesn't have to worry about um, tiptoeing around emotions. He doesn't have to worry about me being upset with him and not telling him or holding things over his head. Or one thing about being with a psychopath, they're never going to bring up stuff that pissed them off 10 years ago and is still, and are still angry about it. Cause it's just, I won't even remember it. And if it bothers you at the time, you'll say it at the time, which yeah. you would think is how hard could that be? But it, a lot of neurotypical people, they just, they said, well, I don't want to make them mad. If they did something that bothered me, I don't want to tell them. Maybe they'll correct it. I don't, I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to hurt their feelings. And meanwhile, the other person keeps doing something that bothers the hell out of you. And they have no idea. Well, it, and exactly. And that's, that's, that's a big barrier with being in a relationship, even a friendship, any kind of relationship with a psychopath. Because you have to remember, the things that bother a neurotypical would not occur to a psychopath. Those things do not bother us. When we have a list of things that bother you, we are making a cognitive list, not an emotional list. So, okay, the one I mentioned earlier, not calling. That's why I'm so clear about it. It's not going to change. Like I tell people who are potential friends, don't expect this to change. It's it's never going to change. It's always going to be, you will always have to be the one to reach out. When you do, hey, I'm there, no problem. But if you expect me to do it, don't get your feelings hurt when it doesn't happen because it is not going to happen. That to me is just how it is. I don't have that inclination. However, I do understand that neurotypicals view this as something that is, they take it as a judgment on who they are and how important they are in my life and, and what that means and all of that. And all of these emotions get bound up into she has not called me. And to me, that's just the deal. It's not a judgment call on you. I'm not in, it's not an indictment on you as a person. It's just how I am. Why are you so outspoken about what it's like to be a psychopath? Well, the main thing is I like writing. So writing is something that I've always done and it's, it's, I, it entertains me. So I'm, I'm good at it. I know I'm good at it. So but for psychopathy, it has to do with, I just dislike misinformation. And every time I open an article or read someone who's talking about it, it's always freaking wrong. It's this, it's these people who see things through their own perspective and then assign intent behind it. And we could go back to something as simple as what I was saying, not calling. That obviously means they hate me and they're just vicious and evil and they don't call because they just want you to sit there and, and dangle on their lines. Like, no, we don't call because we don't think about it. The, all these intentions are assigned to us like this. Okay. The mask. Yeah. It's not real. Sure. Fair enough. And that is deception. Absolutely. Fair enough. It's not deception because we're trying to get over on you. It's deception because if we don't give that, then it's just trouble for us. And if we're anything, we're entirely self-focused. What I want is I want a good life for me. And so I'm going to present myself in a way that will get me that good life. I understand that you might feel lied to because you don't know who I am. That's fine. 
but to assign some sort of, and they were trying to infiltrate my family and take me for everything that I have. And uh, just seriously, no, none of that was happening. They just, you're assuming someone else's intentions based on your own emotional experience in the world. And you can't see outside of that. So I try to explain it from the perspective of the psych, but I have people who, who write me and they, they have a spouse that may or may not be psychopathic. And they think that they, the reason why they're doing X, Y, or Z is because they're a terrible, evil, wicked person who has nothing but the, the pure intent of causing harm. It's like, no, that's not true. Or on the other hand, I have people who write to me who somebody in their family has done something terrible who they either suspect is psychopathic or, or is actually diagnosed as psychopathic. And they, and they're like, well, and they, and they gave the explanation for why they did this terrible thing. And it's something having to do with, okay, let's, let's say uh, they stole something from grandma. Okay. Well, you know, they, they, so they, they stole it because they didn't think anyone would notice and, and, and it meant something to them. No, that's a lie. They stole it because they wanted it and they didn't care. It's two-sided. On the one hand, the assumption that the reasons we operate or do the things that we do or how we interact with people is based on some emotional connotation that we don't have. So I try to explain that. And on the other hand, also people who are psychopathic can try to, you know, utilize manipulation and try to get themselves out of something. Oh, well, they did. I mean, obviously they feel bad about it. No, they don't. Don't let them lie to you. That's bullshit. They do not feel bad at all. They are, they did it because they wanted to. There's no, I couldn't help myself. Poor me. I'm just this itty bitty person trying to fight this huge battle of psychopathy. No, lies. Ignore them. Cut them off. Shut them down. That's the that tell. Is not true. <laughs> just, just don't even, don't even tolerate it. I couldn't help myself when I cheated on you. It's because I'm a psychopath. No, uh -uh. <sighs> you did it because you wanted to. Don't lie. So that's it's it's twofold. You know, it's it's both perspectives. It's also because I like to write, and also because I think that there is an ability for neurotypicals to have a better understanding of how psychopaths think. And I think that a big part of that, a lot of the lack of understanding of how we think, is makes its way into studies about psychopathy. Because scientists do this too. They assume that the reason why a psychopath would do X, Y, or Z is based on their understanding of the world. And so they research it based on that understanding. And so they draw conclusions that make no sense. An excellent example of this is psychopaths have a poor sense of smell. No, no, we don't. What we have is no emotional coding to memories. So you don't smell Play-Doh and go, oh, my childhood. Oh. Exactly. You smell coffee, you think, oh, that's a lovely thing to wake up to in the morning. Or you might smell chestnuts and think about Christmas. That doesn't work for us. If we intentionally code an odor, like you give me garlic and I'll smell garlic and I'll be like, okay. But if you give me garlic a week from now and I'll smell it. And if I haven't like sat there and I'm like, that's garlic. I'll smell it and be like, oh, I smelled this before, but I don't really know what it is. But if I tell myself, I smell it and I go, oh, okay. Well, that's what garlic smells like. A week from now, if you ask me, I'd be like, oh, that's garlic. But the idea is because they're just bringing smells. Okay, so how the study was done, study, and I put that in air quotes because it's, it was not a study. It was, it was a test done on college age students that self-assessed themselves for psychopath, high psychopathic tra traits. 
which is problematic because psychopathy, you can't know somebody's psychopathic until they're 25. You have to wait till the brain is done developing. If you don't do that, the person's probably just going to be a normal person, like most of the time. But that aside, then they had them sit down and they just randomly had them smell things. Okay, that's, if they are psychopathic, that's not, they can't do it that way. Like you, I would need a chance to like, oh, hey, this is oregano. Oh, hey, this is oranges. And I'd be like, okay, well, it's oranges. So that's oregano. And then run the test again. And I guarantee you, I can name all of them. But if you are just, you know, having some people, you know, who have excellent recall based on memory, emotional memory, oh, that's coffee. Oh, that's chestnuts. Oh, that's, the, of course. Yeah. We don't have that. So we're just, we're just looking at it as, oh, that smell has to be, and you have to search the database and then, oh, it's that. So, but the, but the, but the conclusion was drawn on the idea that psychopaths have poor sense of smell because the way neurotypicals remember smell is how they conducted the study. So it's broken. It's automatically broken. And like you mentioned about how they study psychopaths in prison, which is a selective sample. Tiny, tiny percentage. And on top of that, a huge number of people who are imprisoned, one of the largest problems in prisons is uh, head injuries. Like it's a very large percentage of the prison population, both male and female, by the way, that have experienced serious traumatic brain injuries, which significantly alters how they think. It can also be responsible for uh, pretty significant criminality. There's a woman who's read my stuff for a while. Her father, um, her father had a brain tumor and uh, ended up in an argument with her stepmother and threw her off a balcony. No previous criminal history at all. Just, you know, and, and she wrote a book about it. So it was, it was super, it's super interesting to know how head injuries, brain tumors, drug use, all of these things change how the brain operates. And this is, and these are hugely overlapping in prison populations. And then you try to study them and, and then they're assessed with the PCLR, which that is a whole conversation. And they open the studies to people who are 18 years old, which is ridiculous. You should not be doing that. And yeah, so the study cohorts often are too small. They, uh, they have people in them that have no business being there. They have two people who are too young. They are, uh, and they're, and they're, and people who probably have histories of uh, drug addiction or not necessarily drug addiction, but drug use and uh, head injuries and things of that sort. And then not only are they, coming up with conclusions about psychopathy about it, but they're also interweaving the notion that the criminal behavior is a component of the psychopathy, not that the psychopath is a criminal because that's what they chose. It's just completely flawed. What would a good study on psychopaths look like to you? Well, first of all, do not include anybody who has a criminal record. Or if they do have a criminal record, have it be far in the past. Like, there's lots of neurotypicals who do stupid things when they're kids. Mm-hmm. But I've been arrested. Yeah. So, I mean, like, just not a current criminal record, not somebody who's a criminal. Somebody who has uh, not only been assessed by um, a couple of different people who are specialists in the field, but also possibly, I, I would say brain scans, but unfortunately brain scans are not diagnostic yet. They are very interesting for research, which is all that they're used for. They're research-based tools only. They are not. So if you if you meet somebody who says, "Oh, I was, you know, I had a brain scan and it shows I'm a psychopath," no, that'll be Dr. James Fallon later, who also is in the show. 
Yeah, he's a little different because he was studying psychopaths and he's also a neurologist and he also has connections in every field that he can get people to evaluate him. It's not like he's just like proclaimed one day. I mean, he can, he's got all the connections, but you can't say, oh uh, yeah, I went and I paid money and I, I got my, I got my brain scanned and it shows I'm a psychopath. No, it's, that's it's interesting, but unfortunately it's not diagnostic. That's also another conversation, which I'm sure Fallon would be far better at than I would be. So yeah, definitely evaluated by more than one person. Then from there, once you have a cohort of psychopaths, you try to figure out what you want to know about them. <laughs> like study them with an idea of, I would, uh, that we're starting from scratch and where can we go from there? And what would research scans show on functional, regular people who are psychopathic versus criminality? And then, you know, of course, not inclusive, uh, not being inclusive of any of this, uh, you know, antisocial stuff because it, the, the person chooses how they're going to behave. They don't, there's nothing about psychopathy that makes a person antisocial. If you decide to be antisocial, well, that's a behavior you chose. So, you know, let's, let's put that where it belongs, which is in the person's realm of personal responsibility. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't design studies, so just not a prison population, a decently large cohort, not 20 people, like, try to get, yeah, you know, I try to get different people from different cultures also, because that, I mean, that would be interesting to know. Yeah, one, one of the questions I do have about psychopathy is, uh, for a while back on Quora when I was writing, there were a few others writing. Something we all found is that we really were bad at drawing. And I mean, like, really bad. Like, terrible at it. <laughs> like, children. Children draw better than we do. I'm, I'm awful at it. And, I've, and this has been, like, a bone of contention my entire life. Like, people always want to teach me to draw. I'll be the one I can teach you. No, you can't. Trust me. You cannot teach me to draw. I've had so many people try. There is a broken connection. I can see things just fine in my head. I cannot communicate them to my hand and I can describe them in words, no problem. Descriptive writing is very easy for me, but I cannot draw. And other people who are on Quora also couldn't draw. And we thought that was super interesting. And we, and so I ended up having a neurologist who was um, a neuroscientist who was on Quora and he had an idea and I I can't exactly remember what had to do. It had to do with the visual spatial connection between the uh, orbit, the eye orbit or something like that into the brain and he thought that perhaps that was affected. But I would love to know if if that's actually something true. Is it true that psychopaths really cannot draw? And <laughs> if so, figure out why. As you and I have been talking, I've been thinking about the aspects of myself that are psychopathic. Like, I too am extremely self-interested. I too rarely initiate and I'm extremely social I rarely say hey haven't seen you in a while want to hang out like I I get excited when people cancel plans um I (laughs) I also do have to be like oh wait what's the how do I show them that I care 
And so I, I overlap with you in some ways, but there, but there are also plenty of ways where like, I can't help, but I'm so full of feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so full of, I love, I love talking about my feelings. I love singing about my feelings. I love everything about my feelings. One of my my best friends, all we, we we joke that we should have a shirt that says, ask me about my feelings. I love my feelings, (laughs) but it's been really cool to think like, oh, those antisocial um, traits that I do possess and those times where I do have to think, okay, Kion, how do I make sure that they, how do I appear like I'm doing this right when I'm in whatever social situation? It makes me feel kind of like not so bad that I have those traits, you know? Yeah, well, you shouldn't feel bad about having any traits unless they're causing you problems in your life. You know, just make up who you are. Nothing wrong with being who you are. Thank you. I agree. Yeah, if you were like everybody else, and everybody, then all, most of you would be unnecessary. Yeah, probably wouldn't have a radio show. It's true. That's absolutely true. You got you. You are where you are because you are who you are. All of it. Yeah, a lot of people don't really like that notion, but <laughs> well, if they have bad lives, right. not, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they don't want to think about that. I am where I am because I am who I am. Because I've made the choices. Yeah. <laughs> People do not like knowing that they make bad choices and that has bad consequences. They would rather people tell them how it, it's not their fault. It's like, well, maybe some things are your fault, but other things are. So many things. Yeah, you did this. Uh, yeah, exactly. You, this. you have no idea how often I see people make terrible, terrible life choices and then they complain about it. And I'm more than happy to tell them, you chose this. I don't know what you want from me. We talked earlier about the process of getting a diagnosis, but... How did you react when you got your diagnosis? How did you take it? I was like, uh, no. <laughs> I, I, what I've heard about psychopathy is not who I am. So you're definitely off base. So what was the turning point for you when you, you initially were told you're psychopathic? You're like, hell no, because I'm not a crazy, violent, angry. Bleh. But eventually you said, yeah, I guess I am. The guy who did my, uh, he was the main guy who did my evaluation. So he had sent me off to a bunch of other specialists to get to get looked at and, and have testing and all that. But he was very prepared for my, no, he had, he, he had done his, he was like, I, I understand everybody thinks of it as this way. So let's talk about it. So he was, he was ready. He was prepared. He was going to tell me about it. And I was just like, when, the, when I was done with that and I walked away, I was like, whatever. And it didn't mean anything to me. It was interesting. That was it. It wasn't like a life changing or anything like that. But it was later on when we talked and we talked about this, about how you hear the word psychopath and it's always used wrong. And that kind of started getting on my nerves. So I started looking at it because it gets on my nerves because I hear it so often. It's not just a minor thing. Like anybody who gets mad seems to immediately resort to that word. Like, oh, that person's a psychopath. That's a psychopathic. Oh, these psychopaths in, in, in government, these psychopaths at big pharma, these psychopaths at, uh, you know, my ex-husband, these psychopaths, it's just always a psychopath. And it's, it's the, it's the refusal to see the, the, uh, hmm, how would I put it? The evil in human souls, I guess. Just because somebody does something evil and terrible doesn't make them any different than you. And that's what's terrifying to people. And I think that was a big part of why I started on writing some of the things I did, because people need to understand 
that the evil in the world that has them so upset comes from people just like them. And until they can understand and appreciate that the person next door to them would so quickly turn against them if given the opportunity, they will never understand what they are capable of. If you cannot know what you are capable of, you cannot know yourself and you will never have control of yourself. You will never be able to subvert those things should they ever present themselves or an opportunity to exercise those things present themselves. People turn into sadistic monsters very quickly. And I think when people say, oh, psychopath, 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 that is putting the onus on another group of people when in reality, where you need to look is in the mirror. I know what I am capable of. And what I'm capable of would be very, very negative. If it meant that it was my survival or those I'm invested in, oh yeah, no question about it. But not in the sense of I would take some sort of pleasure out of it. I'll just do what needs to be done. And you wouldn't lose many sleep over it. No, not even a little bit. But the question becomes, is the people who do get something out of it. And when they get something out of it and they feel justified in those actions, the evil that can come from a single simplistic human being is phenomenal. And I think that's where people tend to get a little bit misled. And I think that's why uh, that's part of the reason why I write about psychopathy. So people can have an appreciation for their capabilities, because as much as they are capable of truly awful acts, if you know that about yourself, you are capable of truly spectacular things as well. But if you're so easily washed away by the emotion of a situation and you feel justified to finally let that caged animal, the darkness, your shadow out to play, then you are going to completely compromise everything that you think makes you a good person. And worse than that, you will justify it because it feels good. That's the worst recipe for disaster in humankind. Relying on the notion that psychopaths are the ones screwing up the world is very dangerous. Damn. Athena Walker, thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs>